The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. I want to say a special good morning as well, or greeting to all of those who are not visually watching, but those who are listening to the podcast. All around the world, there's many people who listen to the podcast, and I just want to send out greetings to you this morning as well. It's great that you can join us. Uh, So, how are you? I hope you've had a good week, and I hope you have been enjoying this last series that we've been having. It's been called Pressing Ahead, Pressing On Towards What Lies Ahead. And really, that's a little bit of a coverall for me to be able to speak on a number of different subjects. And as you know, we've been looking at issues of prayer, and again this morning, we're going to be looking at the issue of intercession, or learning a little bit more about intercession. But I just want to remind you of a few, what I call, key learning points that we have been picking up on over the last few weeks. And the only reason I want to remind you about them is because they are just that. They're key learning points and they're things for us to actually think over and to pray over and to act out in our own lives so that we can all find the encouragement that the Holy Spirit brings to us. And some of the things that we've learned, one of the key things is this, God loves you. God loves you and he wants relationship with you. And and stop looking and thinking about other people right now. I'm talking to you I'm talking to you right now, and I'm saying to you, remember this. The whole of the Bible wants to talk about this, and God wants you to know this, that he loves you, and he wants relationship with you. Second key point, a learning point, is this. One of the ways, or one of the chief ways that we build that relationship is through prayer. Prayer is a primary method For us here in the physical realm to connect with God in the spiritual realm, prayer is key in building that relationship. And thirdly, prayer is a journey. Let's have a quick look at the picture of the tabernacle that we showed a few weeks ago. This is just a floor plan picture that I'm showing on the screen. And it just shows you with an entrance gate by the letter E because it's at the east That's where people would come in through a curtain into the tabernacle and the priest would make his way and the people would make their way to offer their sacrifices at the altar, to wash their hands and the priest particularly would wash his hands. Then he would go into the tent and the first part of the tent is called the holy place and he would go past the candlestick, he would go past the showbread, he would come and he would offer incense on the altar of incense and then he would go through a second curtain into the Holy of Holies, and that is where the Ark of the Covenant was, and it is there, just on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, beneath the wings of the cherubim, that that is where God would speak to him. And so we see there's a journey to be had from outside, from our everyday life, there's a journey to be had for us to progress in prayer, particularly to the place of meeting and encountering God. Prayer is a journey with God. We've also learned this. There's a challenge that confronts every one of us. Let me read you a quote from Adam Clark. The quote is this. Those who do not pray seek to live independently from God. Prayer is the language of dependence. The presence of prayer is testimony to God's ability. 
The absence of prayer is a testimony to your ability. God desires our utter dependence on him and therefore waits for our bended knees. Now, I like that quote. I like that quote simply because of this. It goes straight to the point. It speaks directly to us. Now, I say I like that quote. However, I also feel uncomfortable by that quote. I feel challenged by that quote because it speaks into my heart and it's talking to me as much as it's talking to you. But you know what? I think this. I would rather have somebody say the truth and tell me like it really is because that way I have the opportunity to change my life, to adjust my ways so that I can no longer walk in naivety but seek to actually build the relationship that I want to have with God, that we all want to have with God. And prayer, whether we like it or not, the presence of prayer shows that we are saying, God, I believe you are there. I need you. Please come and help me. The absence of prayer is the sense in which we just say, like, hey, I'm going to be all right. I'm relying on myself. And we know from what the Bible says, that self-reliance is not a good thing. Another key learning point is this. Understanding that we need God for everything. Understanding that we need God for everything. It's an important thing for us. We spoke on this in one of my earlier messages in January. We talked about Job's friend Elihu. And Job's friend Elihu reminded Job of what God had said and his overall provision for our lives. Job 34, 14 and 15, he says this, If it were his intention, this is, if it were God's intention, and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all humanity would perish together, and, all, and mankind would return to the dust. You see, we don't always say we, I don't always consider this. The fact, you know what, if God was to withdraw his spirit and breath from my life, that's it. I would just die. We just carry on carrying on. And we carry on carrying on often without even thinking about God. And that's not the position we want to be in. The prophet Jeremiah understood this important truth. Jeremiah 10 verse 23 says this, where Jeremiah says, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. See, Jeremiah understood that our lives were a gift from God, that we were made by him and for him, and therefore our lives are to be lived for God. It's ultimately, it's God, direct my steps. I need to know your will and walk in your will. Whereas often we have a tendency that we just want to do things our way and uh, carry on that method in our lives. We need to be seeking God for full revelation of this truth, that we need him in every circumstance, and that he is indeed the strength and security of our lives. We have a tendency, don't we, when it comes to prayer, to be saying to God, uh, God, I don't think you've understood exactly what's going on in my life. I need to tell you this. Can I just remind you? Look, I've got a few problems at school. I've got a few problems at work. I've got a few problems in relationships at home. I've got problems with my kids. I've got some problems financially. Actually, I'm not getting on with the neighbors. Did you know about this, God? And by the way, my car seems to be broken. Can you fix that? Did you know about that? There's a tendency within us that when we come to prayer, all we want to do is tell God, and it's as though we think that God has not seen or does not know about our lives. When, when we turn to Matthew chapter 6 particularly, it talks of this. Matthew 6 verse 8, it says, 
your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He knows what you need before you ask Him. And further on in that chapter, verses 31 to 33, it says this, So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans, that is those who don't know about God, they run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Our priority is to build relationship with God. Building relationship through our prayer is a primary method of that, making that relationship work. But why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because right now, in our nation, we all know there's problems difficulties, challenges, and even not just our nation, the nations of the world. The COVID-19 thing is a pandemic. It's everywhere. And all people are suffering. But you know what? As soon as you switch on your news, as we have done this week and as we've already prayed, you see countries like Myanmar where there's awful things happening, where there's military coups, there's uprising, families are being thrown into disorder. But it's not just there. There's many other places around the globe where there are problems. Why are we talking about prayer, relationship with God, intercession? Because of the needs that we see around our world. And intercession is praying, getting to that place where we find God's presence, where we hear his heart, so that he can start to say to us, listen, will you intercede for this? Will you pray for this? Will you pray in this way? It's that we go to the place of relationship with God, we hear from God, we find out from God, and get his heart for other people. And that's what I just want to touch on a little bit more today. But today, I want to use the example of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is a book in the Bible, so you can always turn to that and read this afterwards. But today, I'm going to be basically looking from chapter 1. Let me set the scene for you, because you may not know much about the history of Israel, but Israel as a nation has been established, and they're supposed to be walking in the ways of God, and supposed to be an example to all the other nations of the world of God. So that the way that they live, people could look at the nation of Israel and say, wow, that the way that they're living, that the laws that they're keeping to, the way that they conduct themselves is amazing. We want to know more about this. They were to be a testimony to other nations. But actually what happened was that the people kept looking at the other nations and saying like, hey, why can't we be like them? Why can't we do the things that they want to do? And they turned away from God. And because of this, God took them into captivity. He took them into Babylon, in in effect, to teach them a lesson and to help them to say, stop for a minute. I'm going to disrupt your lives completely so that you can reconsider God. I sometimes wonder what we're going through at the moment. Is this a whole thing for the whole world to say, stop for one moment and reconsider your lives? We're certainly being given an opportunity to reconsider our lives. Are we reconsidering our lives from the perspective that without God we are nothing, we need Him? Or are we just thinking about ourselves? There's a challenge for us. But anyway, having gone into Babylon, we actually see after 70 years of captivity there that there is now people coming back from Babylon back to re-establish themselves in Jerusalem and in the area of land around there. The first person to come back was Zerubbabel, coming back in 537 BC. 
The second person to come back was Ezra, and we spoke a little bit about Ezra last week. Ezra the priest, he came back in 458 BC. Now I have to say, it wasn't until this week and I was looking into this that I didn't realize that there were 79 years between those two people. So when you're reading the book of Ezra and you're seeing those two reports, the first few chapters of Ezra are referring to the first uh, person returning, Zerubbabel. But then it's the second part when Ezra himself comes in. This is some 80 years later on. I didn't realize that, so I just throw that out there for you. And last week we looked at Ezra and how he had come back, and now it makes complete sense to me that when Ezra came back, he was dealing with some of the things that people had got into. Well, it's hardly surprising that people had returned and they'd been living life there for nearly 80 years. So, of course, they were picking up some habits that perhaps they ought not to be walking in, which is what Ezra spoke into. But we're going to break into the story now. Ezra has come back and he is working as a priest in Jerusalem and leading the people. But we're now going back from Jerusalem. I want to go back to Persia because Babylon, the nation of Babylon, has been taken over by the Medes and Persians. It's being ruled there. And we're going to go back to the city of Susa and to see a guy called Nehemiah. Nehemiah has a job. He actually works for the king. He is the king's cupbearer. So he tastes the wine. He brings wine to the king and he gives the king his drink. So he's the tester, the taster, and also, as it were, the sommelier for the king of uh, Persia. It's at this point, in total, we're about 160 years from when Israel first went into exile in Babylon. And I say that because we need to understand that Nehemiah, Nehemiah didn't live in Jerusalem and then get exiled. Nehemiah is one who has been born in exile and has heard all the stories of Jerusalem. But he's not been there. He's been living out there in Babylon and now in Persia, under the Persian Empire. That's where he's been living and that's how he has been raised. So we come to his uh, book, Nehemiah chapter 1, and we read this, the verse 4 verses. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign. I was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been burned by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. That's what we're reading in this story. Nehemiah, obviously, even though he had been, as I say, brought up in Persia, not experiencing Jerusalem for himself, he had a great concern for the well-being of Judah and Jerusalem. And this was highlighted by the fact that with some Jews coming back and his brother introducing them to them, he got an up-to-date situation of what was going on there. Now, the result of him receiving that news, it says that Nehemiah sat down and wept. Now, for us to receive bad news, really distressing news, that's, not a, that's a quite a fairly normal reaction, isn't it? That you would say, whoa. You might sit down, well, let me sit down. Hang on a second, I can't quite take this in. And if it's really serious news, you know, suddenly, like, the shock of it just comes over you. 
and tears can come to your eyes. So it's not surprising that that was a reaction that he had at this news. But, you know, I also thought this, but how often does that happen? We can hear news. When was the last time that actually the effect of us hearing news wasn't just that we cried, because that can, things can bring a tear to our eyes, the things that we see on the news itself, but to actually weep and then to get to a place where we're saying, right, I, I'm fasting here, I'm praying before God. I feel challenged because I might have a tear come to my eye, but actually being moved to really start praying and interceding, I very rarely see that happen in my life. We need to understand the weight of this touched Nehemiah's heart. And he turned to the only one that he knew who could help him. Nehemiah was way, way away. Thousands, of, not necessarily thousands, but a long distance away from Jerusalem. And he thought, how can I help these people? I need to pray. I need to turn to God because he's the only one who can intervene. So here he is asking that question of the people who'd come back. How are things going in Jerusalem? Hey, give me the news. And they say things are not going well. The people there are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, Nehemiah wept, prayed. We're not told exactly how long. But when we reach verse 5, we begin to see the prayer that arises before God. I believe that Nehemiah had spent some time in prayer. He had been on that journey of prayer that we've talked about, where he's seeking to get to the place where he hears the heart of God for this situation. He had a heart for Jerusalem beforehand, but now I believe his heart for that uh, capital city has grown. And we're being shown what his prayer was like. Because when we get to Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 5 to 11, we read this. Chapter 5, uh, sorry, verse 5. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. O oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Nehemiah is interceding before God. And in that prayer, you can hear and feel his passion. You can feel the connection that he has through prayer, even with Jerusalem that is so many miles away. And I just want to raise three quick points as I come towards the end here about intercession. The, first, the three points are this. Everyone is eligible, identification, and refer to God's promises. Everyone is eligible, identification, refer to God's promises. Firstly, everyone is 
eligible. I mentioned this last week about intercession. I want to repeat it to drive the point home. Everyone is eligible, but not everyone seeks to know the heart of God. And that's an important part. I believe the intercessor is not an elite person, but rather a kingdom person. And what do I mean by that? I mean this. It's not a situation of somebody saying, hey, look at my position. Look, I'm praying for all these people. You know, you're not praying for them, but I am. An element of pride coming into their lives. But rather, an intercessor is somebody who is looking at the Word of God, who is following the ways of God, and as a normal Christian, he is just saying, I need to pray on these situations. I need to find out what God wants to do that I may be praying into his heart. We understand what God's perspective is. We talked about it last week, Ezekiel 22 verse 30, where it says this, God says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But God goes on to say, but I found no one. And that's the distressing thing. God is saying, I need to have intercessors. God is calling the people up to say, in times of crisis, when you see difficult situations around the world, I need my people to rise up and to pray. But we find when he was referring and talking to his uh, prophet Ezekiel, he says, I looked for such people, but I could find no one. We don't want to be in that situation. Jesus taught us how to pray. Matthew 6, if you want to look about prayer, go to that chapter. I've already mentioned it. And there we find the Lord's Prayer, or what we call the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of people recite that, and it's not wrong to recite that, but I don't believe the prayer is to be recited per se. I believe the prayer is there for us to have a foundation to know how we can pray. It starts off, as we know, Matthew 6, verse 9, Our Father who is in heaven. There's an acknowledgement of where God is in relationship to where we are. Hallowed be your name. There is the importance of us to lift up the name of God. That is so important. I'm seeking to learn and understand the importance of that more and more. Why is it important? Listen to what it says in Psalm 9 verse 10. Those who know your name will trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Those who know your name. You see, it is important for us to lift up the name of the Lord. It's important for us to get to know the name of the Lord. Because as we know his name and as we lift up his name, it literally is building faith and confidence. Those who know your name will put their trust in you. How are you finding your faith? Are you finding these days dark? Are you finding these days distressing? In these days, we want to be a people who are not being distressed, but a people who are looking to their God and are understanding what His name is. I am healer. I am provider. I am your shepherd. I am your righteousness. We want to understand the names of the Lord so that we can, oh, this is who you are, Lord. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You are with me. You are the lifter of my head. You are the lover of my soul. This is who you are. This is what you are referred to be. This is what your name encompasses. Those who know your name will trust in you. But the prayer, sorry, let me go back to that. The prayer goes on to say, Matthew 6 verse 10, Your kingdom come, 
Your will be done. You see, the Lord's Prayer is giving us a way to pray, but it's telling us not only do we need to know the name of God so that we can put our trust in Him and know how good He is, it comes on to the next bit, which is about us fulfilling our purpose on the earth. We're supposed to fill the earth and subdue the earth. We subdue the earth by bringing the earth under the influence of the kingdom of God. And that is, the King of Kings is able to rule in that place. That's what we're doing. We want to exalt God. We want to magnify God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just call upon your name. Have mercy upon us, O God. Let the glory of your presence come to this place. Father, we desperately need you and we need to hear from you. Father, our hearts are hungry to know more of your goodness and your mercy upon our lives. Father, would you please instruct us and help us? Will you strengthen us, O God? Will you cause your light to come into our hearts? Will you bring the illumination of who you are. Will you help us, O Lord, to understand that we have been called by you for such a time as this, that we may fulfill your kingdom purposes upon the earth. Lord, that is what we need to do. Listen, as intercessors, we are a people who have been called to know the heart of God and to pray in the heart of God. The intercessor is somebody who lives Because life has been given to them by God. And they understand the only reason they live is because they are receiving that life from God. The intercessor is somebody who prays to connect them to the heart of God. And they understand that prayer is the relationship. The absence of prayer means they're depending upon themselves. The presence of prayer is that they are depending upon God. I'll move very swiftly through these final two points. Identification. This is key for intercession. The intercessor identifies with the problem that is ahead of them. When we look at Nehemiah, Nehemiah in his prayer, he said in verse 6, Listen to my prayer, he says to to the Lord. Look down and see me praying night and day. That's what indicates to me that this wasn't just one prayer, quick prayer, that he prayed when he met those people from Jerusalem, but that he had been seeking God continually about the situation. And he goes on to say, I confess that we have sinned against you. He's there in Persia. He hasn't been to Jerusalem. And yet he's saying, look, I have sinned. I am involved in this lot. The reason that you brought your people into exile, but now that you're allowing them to return, is because we haven't walked in your ways. We haven't sought to ask for your will to be done on earth. We have done whatever we wanted to do. Lord, have mercy upon us. And we see that Nehemiah identified completely. He even said, yes, even my own family and I have sinned. He identified, if we are going to be praying for situations around the world, we not only need the heart of God so that we are directed by that, but we need to understand that we're not aloof from the situation we want to pray. If we're praying for Bromley, for instance, where we are here, Lord, we can easily say, Lord, forgive the sin of Bromley. Forgive us for what we have done, that we as a people have turned our backs upon you, that we have ignored you, that we have no longer lifted you up that we have done our own thing. We can identify because we are people of this land and we are among the people. And we want to represent the people and lift them before God. There is a sense of identification. And lastly, there is the need for us to refer to God's promises. That's what Nehemiah did. 
And you know, it's not that God forgets. God knows what he's said. God has written it down for us to use. But what Nehemiah does is, Lord, I want to remind you about what you said through your servant Moses. I want to remind you, Lord, that you said that although you might take us far away, if we return to you, if we give our hearts to you, you are going to bring us back. I need to remind you, Lord, of what you have said because I'm asking you, Lord, to fulfill your word. And as people, when we come to prayer, we want to remind God of his promises. God, you have said, call to me and I will answer you. God, will you remember the reason that you sent your son, Jesus? The reason you sent him was that you said that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. He came to set the captives free. He came to destroy the works of the evil one. Lord, we want to remind you of why you sent your son Jesus. We want to remind you of what you have promised to us. We want to remind you that you have said, call to me. Lord, I'm calling to you. Will you answer me? We cry out to God and we remind him of his promises. Not that he needs to be reminded because he's forgotten, but because when we bring these things before him, we say, Lord, you are a man who will not renege on his promises. Lord, what you have promised, please, will you do it for us? Have mercy. Have mercy upon us, O oh God, and change us. I want to encourage you. I know that sometimes we think of intercession. Oh, this is way beyond me. Listen, we are the people of God who have been made by him and have called by him for his kingdom for such a time as this. It's time for us to throw off the hindrances and to come before God and say, God, please use me. Use me for the things of your kingdom. Use me to pray and to see situations around the nations being changed. Lord, touch my heart and move in my life that you may be glorified. So I want to encourage you. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and draw near to him. And continually seek him so that we might find him and know his heart and will for the situations around us. May God bless you. May you have a good week. And may his presence be with you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning. Or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.